Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. So we left off on Monday with King Saul pulling out every trick in the book to eliminate David, to have him killed. He sent men to kill him. He sent ninjas to kill him. He even tried to convince Jonathan to kill him. But nothing worked. So now we put into 1 Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Nioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan. Ask Saul's son, David's best friend. David said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to take my life? Jonathan replied, never, you're, you're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It, it's not true. I know, he, he's a little, I got a few screws loose, but no, he would never, no. But David took an oath. And he said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. There was a long pause. And Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival and I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. David was to be at the king's table. He is, after all, the king's son-in-law. So if he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. Now, as for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. And if I am guilty, then you kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Jonathan said, never. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? And David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? And Jonathan said, Come, let's go out into the field. The, you know, the, the palace has ears in the walls. So they went out together. And then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. And may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. But show me, look, if I do this, and you're right, it might cost me my life. So if I do this, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I not tell you exactly what happened. In return, 
Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. This could cost me my life, David. And no matter what, don't let anything happen to my family. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed his oath out of love for him. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. This is a bond between two magnificent warriors. The kind of bond that can only be forged in battle, in shared bloodshed, in protecting one another, in mortal combat. Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You'll be missed at dinner because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by that, the big stone that we call Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I'll send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, Look, the arrows are on this side. Bring them here. Then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you're safe. There's no danger. But if I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are way beyond you. They're, they're, they're way out there. Then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. No matter what happens, David, for better or worse, protect my family. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat at his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. I told you, Saul always sat with his back to a wall. Old gunfighter trick. He didn't trust anyone. He had a spear right at his side. And Abner sat next to Saul. Abner's Saul's commanding general. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day. He thought, well, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely, that, that must be the reason he's not here. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. And then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? This is a festival, a celebration. We're family. He should be here. Jonathan answered. Well, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. David's the youngest son after all. His older brother told him to be there. That's why he's not here. Saul saw right through that. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. <laughs> That's biblical euphemism for you son of a bitch. 
Don't I know that you've sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me. He will die. Jonathan, shocked, said, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Saul leapt up from the table, took his spear, hurled it at Jonathan, who ducked. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the month. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow way beyond the boy and way beyond David. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out, it, it, it's even beyond there. There are more arrows beyond. He shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. Well, the boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew the signal. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and he said, carry them back to town. After the boy, Jonathan's armor bearer had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and mine forever. And then David left and Jonathan went back to town. So where is David going to go? You know, we've been to Israel many times. This last February, March was my 63rd teaching tour to Israel. It's a small country. The whole country is no bigger than the state of New Jersey. Where can David go? So David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech, the king charged me with a top secret matter. He said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission or your instructions. I'd love love to tell you, Ahimelech, but if I did, I'd have to kill you. And as for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place, secret meeting place. Now, what what you have on hand? Uh, you know, I, I was in such a hurry to get going on the mission that I I forgot my, my supplies. Do you have anything on hand? Maybe five loaves of bread, whatever you can find. The priest answered David, well, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand, but there is the consecrated bread uh, here at the tabernacle, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Inside the tabernacle, in the book of Exodus, Moses constructs the tabernacle exactly as God told him to. And in the tabernacle proper, when the priest walks in, to the left, there's a golden lampstand, a menorah. To the right, a table 
of showbread with bread and wine, and directly in front, the altar of incense. Right in front of that is a curtain separating the holy place where the priest stands from the Holy of Holies that contains the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest can enter there, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So Ahimelech said, well, I don't have any freshly baked bread here, but we, we do have the consecrated bread in the tabernacle. You know, that would be like me going on the run and having to leave so quickly, I took nothing with me. So I, I, I show up at the parish rectory in the middle of the night and the priest comes to the door. Oh, yawning. Oh, Bill, what, what can I do for you? I am on an urgent mission. I, I had to leave very quickly. I don't have any supplies with me. Would you happen to have any food I might take with me? Well, we just had a, a big dinner here last night. There's, there's nothing left, but I do have the consecrated hosts, the Eucharist, in the tabernacle in the church, you can take that if you'd like. That's exactly what Ahimelech does for David, providing the men are ceremonially clean. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual when I set out. The men are holy and they're on a holy mission. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. Since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord, replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. The bread and the wine in the tabernacle were replaced each week with fresh bread and wine. And they had just removed the old bread to put the new bread in, and the old bread was there with the priest. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was a vile, miserable, loathsome person, Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Oh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm so stupid. I left for this urgent mission and I forgot my weapons. Do, do you have any weapons here? A spear, a sword? The priest replied, well, I, I have the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah. It's here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. You can take it if you want it. It's a darn good sword, as you know. And David said, there is none like it. Took off the head of Goliath like a hot knife through butter. I'll have it. So that day, David fled from Saul. And where can he go? Where in that little land of Israel can David go? Because you can be sure that Saul will pull out every resource to find David. Where can he go? Well, he'll go to the very last place anyone would think to look. That day, Saul, David fled from Saul and went to Ahish, king of of Gath. Remember I told you there are five major Philistine fortified cities on the coastal plain right along the Via Maris? Gath is one of them. 
Do we know anybody from Gath? Yes, Goliath, whom David killed, Goliath of Gath. David went to Achish, king of Gath. What chutzpah! The servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the, the king of the land, the one everybody's proclaiming king? The one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So David leaves Nob. He goes down to the coastal plain, and I've been to the archaeological remains of Gath. Gath is a, a tell. That is, a, a flat-topped hill in the middle of a plain. That, nature doesn't make that. That's one layer of civilization on top of another. That's a tell. When you cut down through it, you discover the various civilizations that were there. On the far side of that field is a forested area. And I imagine it was very much like that in David's day. So David, I can picture him in the forested area, looking across the field at Gath. It's about, oh, I'd say 200 yards away uh, from the what today is a road and then the archeological site of Gath, a couple hundred yards. David has his binoculars out looking at the, at the city. It's a fortified city on a war footing with soldiers on the wall, archers on the wall and a barred gate and they are watching for the enemy, the enemy being Israel. So David is watching that fortified city. He's focusing in on the archers on the wall. How can David approach Gath without being killed? So David walked out into the field, slowly, purposely walking toward the fortified walls of Gath, right out in the open. And up on the walls, one of the soldiers said, we, we, have, we have someone incoming. Who, who, who is it? I don't know. Let's see. They look through their binoculars. That looks like David. Couldn't possibly be David. Nobody would be that stupid. No, I think it is David. As David is watching the men on the wall and seeing them conversing with each other and arming themselves, David, oh, he had, he had to do something quick. So he pretended to be insane. <laughs> David is shuffling and mumbling to himself and drooling and Goliath and damn Saul Trump Biden <laughs> and he's like get the king up here Achish comes up on the wall David's incoming Get out of here. Let me see the binoculars. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. David gets right up to the locked gate. And what does he do? 
Our translation reads, he made marks on the doors of the gate, letting saliva run down his beard. What did he do? He stood at the gate in full view of everyone, unzipped and peed on the gate. Akish said, look at the man. He is totally insane. Why bring him to me? Am I sure a madman around here? You have to bring this guy in? Oh, open the gate. Bring, bring him in. <laughs> David has a sit-down meeting with Akish, king of Gath. And Akish hires him. David told the whole story. Saul is trying to kill me. I'm his son-in-law. You know that. And I'm a pretty darn good warrior. You know that too. I'm not welcome at court. Saul views me as a traitor. So, so be it. I'll work for you. Are you serious? said Akish. I am. So they cut a deal. And David begins working as a mercenary for Achish, king of Gath. Well, what will happen now? Oh, wait till King Saul finds out about this. What will happen? Well, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, a traditional enemy of Israel, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? Moab. Who do we know from Moab? Ruth. Remember Ruth? Great-grandmother of King David? Ruth was from Moab. She marries Boaz of Bethlehem. They have Obed. Obed has Jesse, and Jesse has David. David had family in Moab. So he went there, and he said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me. Because Saul will go after David's family in Moab. Would you put my family under your personal protection? So they stayed with the king of Moab as long as David was on the run. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. The land of Judah, David's tribe. So David left and he went to the forest of Hereth. Saul is not going to give up. Saul is looking everywhere for David. Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul, spear in hand, was seated under a tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing around him. Again, Saul has his back against the tree and he has his spear in his hand and he's playing with it. He's mumbling to himself. Saul said, Listen, men of Benjamin, 
Will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why all of you have conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. Saul is way over the edge. Saul sees enemies everywhere, all around him. And he's playing with his spear. Think of Saul seated against that tamarisk tree with a loaded forty-five caliber pistol, dropping the magazine out, ejecting around, playing with it, injecting the magazine back in, chambering it, just playing with it. Looking at all the men, all of you have betrayed me, I know you have. But that vile, miserable and loathsome Doeg the Edomite was standing with Saul's officials and he said, oh, my Lord, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Hightub at Nob. I saw him come to the priest. And Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him, and he gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. He armed him. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. And Saul said, still playing with his forty-five, Listen now, son of Ahitab. Yes, my lord. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him? So he's rebelled against me and he lies in wait for me as he does right this moment. Ahimelech answered the king, My lord, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, your son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, highly respected in your household? Was that... Day, the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. I know David quite well. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family. Your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, You will die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And then the king ordered the guards at his side, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord. They have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing. They did not tell me. The king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. So the king ordered Doeg, the vile, miserable, loathsome Doeg the Edomite, strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. And that day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. 85 priests were slain. He also put to the sword, Nob, the town of the priests, with all its men, women, children, infants, cattle, donkeys, and sheep. He put it to the ban under the ban, killed every living thing in Nob. But Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And then David said to Abiathar, That, that day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he'd tell Saul. <laughs> I, I, I am responsible for the death 
of your entire family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You'll be safe with me. David takes in Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub. And Abiathar will remain with and loyal to David for the rest of David's life. But David, David's in big trouble. Saul is looking everywhere for him. And as we just saw, he is willing to kill hundreds to get to David. What will happen next? We shall find out on Friday's podcast. Thank you for being with me, folks. Keep me in your prayers as I'll keep you in mine. And I look forward to being with you in a couple more days. Bye-bye now.